Panda acknowledges the traditional owners of the land where we work and live. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We celebrate the stories, culture and traditions of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders of all communities who also work and live on this land. Today's episode was produced on the lands of the Jagara, Yugurupul and Ghana peoples. The advice given in this episode is general and everyone's experiences are different. If you need support, please call Panda or Lifeline. Those numbers are both in the show notes. I had electricity running through my body. I got out of bed. I ran around the room. I I started hyperventilating. I was, I felt like I was really, really high and I couldn't get all these thoughts out of my head about what would happen if my baby didn't sleep. And ultimately my baby slept and I didn't. And that began 10 days of absolute hell of just worsening anxiety symptoms every day. Um, And I didn't sleep for 10 10 whole days. Renee's a mum of two, and her experience between having her first son and her second was night and day. At no point following my second son's birth did I have any symptoms of depression or anxiety or feel anywhere near what I felt like with my first son. It was a completely different experience. I can honestly say my second son's birth was just one of the most amazing days of my life. Just, it was so different. Renee knew things didn't feel right pretty soon after she'd returned from hospital with her firstborn son. She'd experienced depression in her teens, but she'd never anticipated the huge impact pregnancy and birth would have on her mental health. I'm Gia, and this is Survive and Thrive, a podcast from Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, who you might know as Panda. Whether you've pressed play in search of a lifeline in the middle of the night, or you're headed into parenthood and you just want to be as prepared as possible, this podcast is for you. Just a word of warning before we start, though, this episode has mentions of suicide, so you might prefer to skip to another episode of Survive and Thrive instead, or if you do need to talk to someone, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. People with a whole range of mental health challenges become parents every day. Whether it's depression, anxiety, or something less prevalent like bipolar disorder, it's really important to be prepared for the big changes in your hormones, changes to your routine, and well, pretty much changes to your whole life when a new baby arrives. These preparations are different for everyone, of course, but psychiatrist Dr. Rebecca Hill will talk you through tips on how to prepare, like what to do when triggers arise, how best to manage your medications, and making sure that you have the right people in your corner. For Renee, creating a plan for her mental wellbeing going into her second pregnancy was crucial. The extreme sleep deprivation that came with her perinatal anxiety and depression after her first son was something that she never wanted to experience again. Although this period was an especially turbulent one for Renee, it also wasn't the first time that she'd faced mental health challenges. Yeah, so when I had been about 17 um, and onwards for a few years, I'd had an eating disorder um, and really I'd been one of those people who um, 
life for me was about being good at everything and an achievement. I measured my worth on my achievements as an individual. Um, so I was a dancer. I was a really high achiever at school. Um, I got a job really early on after university and I'd always been quite successful in my career. Um, I'd really worked hard at a lot of things, um, but I, I guess uh, looking back, perhaps anxiety was always part of my character. Um, I really strove hard to achieve everything I could in life. And, you know, the niggling eating disorder was, um, you know, symptoms of that had sort of gone away. So going into my pregnancy, I was... Uh, I was really excited about being a mum. So whilst I'd had some elements of, um, you know, anxiety and depression in the past a long time ago, it wasn't prevalent during pregnancy. And certainly when I became unwell shortly after giving birth, it was quite a shock to me that that's, you know, that's where I would end up. What were some of those initial signs, I guess, that you first noticed things which just were not right? Yeah, so I'd had depression um, for a short period of time in the past when I was about 17, so quite a number of years ago. Um, but I really recognised sort of some similar symptoms to that. I just wasn't feeling myself. I had I felt like um, I really, life was, life was tough. And I remember sitting in the bath one day actually um, uh, and saying to my mum, my mum was there because it was shortly after I'd had Hamish and just said, I just want him to grow up and be 18 and I don't, I don't think I can be a mother. Um, and that was a bit of a shock to me because I had just been looking so forward to becoming a mum. Um, and yeah, that's really when I noticed that uh, I was waking up every day not looking forward to the day and I was really overwhelmed with sort of what I felt like the responsibilities of being a mum were uh, and I wasn't looking forward to actually um, being a mum that day. I absolutely wasn't looking after myself whatsoever. My, I didn't think about myself at all. It was all about the baby and I had to put a lot of pressure on myself that the baby was sleeping and feeding and doing all of the things I thought were were really, you know, what babies were meant to do. And if they weren't following the rule book, I was, um, I was what my, what I would term catastrophizing. The other symptoms were likely anxiety symptoms. So I stopped eating you know, I lost a lot of weight. Uh, I had constant, constant fear, constant um, thoughts about the future. Um, and when I Googled the symptoms, I realised that it was likely to be postnatal anxiety and depression. Mm. So you'd recognised that something definitely wasn't feeling right, but then things got worse, didn't they? Um, can you tell me a bit about what it was like when you stopped sleeping altogether? Yeah, so with my son having trouble uh, falling asleep and staying asleep, um, I then developed what I would, what I later worked out were really terrible anxiety symptoms. And I distinctly remember one night that's always etched in my memory. And I believe my son was probably about five weeks old. And he, um, my husband took him downstairs. And because he had, he was so unsettled and was crying all the time and I was with him, you know, 24-7, I had had um, advice from my obstetrician at my checkup to say, you really need some rest. You need to get as much rest as possible. Leave Hamish with your husband, who's more than capable, um, and get some sleep. And 
I felt at that point that that wasn't my role as a mother. My role was really to be settling my baby and my, I really needed to be there. And I put so much pressure on myself. Um, I then couldn't sleep and I could hear my baby crying. And I I think I had a panic attack. I got, uh, had all the symptoms of what I later found out was, you know, terrible anxiety. I had electricity running through my body. I got out of bed. I ran around the room. I, I started hyperventilating. I was... I felt like I was really, really high um, and I couldn't get all these thoughts out of my head about what would happen if my baby didn't sleep. And ultimately my baby slept and I didn't and that began uh, 10 days of absolute hell um, of just worsening anxiety symptoms every day um, and I didn't sleep for 10, 10 whole days. I was awake every moment of the day um, and I would see a GP almost every day to discuss what my symptoms were, where I was at, and I would get different types of medication that were suitable for breastfeeding um, but appropriate for, for my sort of depression and anxiety symptoms, and nothing worked. Um, and as every day went on, I got more and more anxious about what this would mean for me. Um, it's a pretty dark place to be awake every moment of the day when other people are living their life in a, you know, 24-hour cycle. Um, and I thought that this was forever. How would you describe things for you at your lowest point? Yeah, look, my lowest point was a very low point. Um, I I was, um, I did have suicidal thoughts. Um, I really didn't think that I could be a mum. I actually told my husband that he would be better off um, without me and I didn't think I could be a mum for my son Hamish. I sat on the couch and just said that very bluntly to my husband um, and that I had considered ways that I might end my life um, and I had put a lot of thought into what my child's life and my husband's life would be without me. and. I really felt that that was the best option for all of us. Gosh, Renee, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'm really sorry you had to, to go through that. Had it even crossed your mind before you had a baby that you might experience some of those feelings? I said to my husband, look, given my history at some point having um, depression in the past and also I, I recognised that I was a high achiever and that I, I went into pregnancy with a lot of expectations, I said to my husband, Let's be really wary of it, but I don't think I'll I'll get P and D. But uh, but let's just you know lay it out there. And if you see any signs and symptoms, let me know. And he did. He he was the one who said to me, "I really feel that you're not you're not um, in the place where you want to be." And I then quickly rang my mum, and my mum, who was based interstate. Uh, she was able to say to me, look, I've, I've been seeing these symptoms in, in you as well. And so it, it really was me reaching out first once I recognised that I might not be very well. So what happened after that? You checked into a hospital? Yeah, so um, as I was experiencing this sort of worsening anxiety, at the same time I did finally have some support around me that were trying to get me into the appropriate um, hospital. 
I had reached out to um, where I'd given birth and they uh, fortunately put me in contact with a local public hospital and fortunately the local public hospital also had a mother baby in it attached for mothers suffering perinatal anxiety and depression who can actually take their their babies with them. And I was put on a wait list and it took about a week um, but finally at the end of that I was admitted to the mother-baby unit. And fortunately through that time I also had... Um, the crisis emergency team coming to my house and making sure that I was safe, that I had the medication I needed um, and I had sort of had that support around me until I got into the the more hospitalised environment, yeah. Yeah, it's great to hear that you eventually did get that support that you really needed. Now, you went on to have another child. What kind of planning did that involve so that you didn't end up in that same dark place that you'd just been in? I was quite anxious um, about having a second baby and would, you know, would I experience the same symptoms I experienced the first time? And I would say my family was probably even more anxious than I was. Uh, but be- between my husband and I, we worked on a plan um, to make sure that, you know, I was as supported and he was as supported as we could be. Obviously, I had my parents and family that were able to um, come and be with us if required. But I also maintained my psychiatrist throughout my pregnancy and he um, had connections into the hospital and also the mother-baby unit. So he made sure that I had a letter going into the um, hospital for the birth of my second baby that said, you know, there were quite a number of things in there like, um, you know, Renee needs to have an extra day in hospital, which I was very fortunate to receive. Um, I also wasn't to have visitors and that was really important for me because I wanted to make sure I established breastfeeding really early on and also had that um, connection with my son as quickly as possible. Um, and honestly, it was it was so fantastic having this support. Um, I, I also had a dedicated midwife mm-hmm. and look, I'm very fortunate. I went through the private system, was able to do, you know, have these things in place, but I would say that having a psychiatrist who was really connected and understood was probably the most critical thing. I also was able to take the medication that I was on throughout pregnancy and it was safe. And for me, that was really important because um, the risk of going off the medication and then not being on it was probably, for me, was far outweighed the risk of staying on the medication. And I recognised that there was, you know, the right studies had been done around making sure that it was safe for baby. And if it was safe for baby, then I felt really comfortable staying on that medication. And then I had regular follow-ups with my psychiatrist just to monitor and make sure that, um, you know, everything was okay. I uh, I connected in with the mother-baby unit just to let them know I'd had another baby. Um, and look, you know, at no point following my second son's birth did I have any symptoms of depression or anxiety or feel anywhere near what I felt like with my first son. It was a completely different experience. Um, I can honestly say my second son's birth was just one of the most amazing days of my life. It um, just, it was so different and uh, I have so many positive memories of that time. And look, I had the same challenges. My second son um, was a terrible sleeper but I just had things in place and I was able to really focus on um, that that wasn't going to, you know, that wasn't going to impact him and that every baby's different 
And I was able to put strategies in place to really manage that. Definitely. And I guess not being afraid to to speak out because that's so much still is the stigma around mental health and, and asking for help. Um, how did you overcome that? Yeah, look, I think I've been, I think I've been brave. I, um, I could have let this, I could have really fallen down when I, I'm quite a proud person and, and coming out and saying, no, I've had a mental illness and I've tackled it, um, for me is about being brave. And all I want to do is is help people to not be in that situation, to realise that this is, we can normalise this. We just need to embrace it and know where to get some support. And knowing where to get the support for me was the critical bit that was missing in my first pregnancy. So in my second pregnancy, I had a map I had a guide and I had a, I had a book that I could pull out and say, right, if this happens, this is what, what we're going to do. And I was in tune with myself to know that I wasn't going to get there. Through careful planning and the right supports, Renee's second postpartum experience helped to heal the wounds of her first. And as you heard, that was no accident, no stroke of luck. But it does show that with the right approach and people around you, your mental health shouldn't be a barrier to becoming a parent. Dr Rebecca Hill is a consultant psychiatrist who's worked extensively with women in the perinatal period. She's seen firsthand the difference a solid plan can make. I asked Dr Hill what it is about having a baby that can trigger a mental health episode. It is a very rich time of change and that's sort of happening at all levels for that woman. Um, so that's certainly at the psychological level and that's all then kind of really underpinned by what's happening, you know, physiologically and hormonally. Um, and I think what can be quite surprising is that um, while a lot of that's been mapped out, we don't necessarily know uh, why that predisposes uh, women to, you know, mental health difficulties at this time in life. Um, but there's no question that reproductive hormones, uh, estrogen and progesterone, which are probably pretty familiar to people, um, really exponentially increase um, over the course of pregnancy compared to a woman who's not you know, in the pregnant state. Um, and, you know, that is something that we know people are sensitive to. Women have changes across their monthly cycle uh, which affect their mood. Um, so it is a combination of, of those physi physiological changes but also the, the tremendous challenges to her psychology, um, having to kind of create a new identity um, that can also, you know, really cause some vulnerability for some women. Can you tell me about some of the more high-risk um disorders that you, you see? Uh, certainly. Um, uh, and it, it, it does uh, deserve its own sort of attention, I think, because although they're less common, uh, the risks that come along with them are higher. And uh, that also means then it is better if people have a plan ahead of time. So there's certainly bipolar disorder, uh, there's schizophrenia, uh, then there's the sort of more severe end of anxiety disorders like OCD, as well as uh, borderline personality disorder and associated troubles with emotion regulation and trauma. Uh, I can talk a little bit about uh, bipolar disorder because of their super high risk of having an episode. Uh, that seems to be triggered by childbirth. So even, say, schizophrenia, um, they're not as likely to have a postnatal episode. 
Uh, and bipolar disorder, it sort of affects about 1% of the population. Uh, and certainly women with that disorder are quite likely to have babies because they have really good recovery between episodes. Um, for people who may not be totally familiar, um, bipolar means there's two poles to it. So they can suffer with either very low episodes of mood, depression, um, or actually very high um, mood episodes called mania and have some that come in between. Um, so it can really disrupt their lives, but if they get good treatment, um, w women and people in general with bipolar disorder can actually um, function really well. The unfortunate news though for them is that the postnatal risk is really super high, like at least 50%. And some studies have quoted higher. So it's almost like they're more likely than not to have an episode after a baby. And it could be depression, it could be mania, it could be the most severe version, which is psychosis. So it is very important for those women um, to have a plan of action, which typically involves medication. But once they've had one episode, then we do say, look, uh, we've got loads of time to plan for your next one. And we can really reduce the risk of recurrence with that disorder. If we know about it, if it's untreated, they have a, a, at least a 50% risk of having it again. Mm, wow. So that's quite a high instance of it happening again if you don't treat it. But what about if you know you have a mental health condition? Is it then a case that you can get some of these things in check before pregnancy? whether it's bipolar, anxiety, depression or something else? Oh, well, certainly. I mean, uh, when women do have an identified history, then, you know, I think um, in the ideal world, they would be able to see someone like me or my colleagues um, for a consultation to kind of um, uh, understand their risk profile and then take the steps um, that are going to help reduce that risk. Um, I mean, thinking about the different categories with sort of anxiety and depression, um, there is a range of options open to women and, and that would include, you know, taking care of the lifestyle factors, uh, like making sure that they're able to get enough sleep, um, have some breaks from work, um, uh, and uh, also take regular exercise, good nutrition. Those things actually are protective and preventive. Uh, and then stepping up to sort of treatment type level, um, having access to talk therapy um, could modify things enough for them that they do better um, or even avoid an episode. Um, so that's sort of in the anxiety and depression line. Um, uh, and certainly then medication is very relevant for some people in, in that scenario. Um, and that would be where, you know, if, if, if you look at their risks and they do get really unwell when they have those problems, then you might potentially look at being on medication during pregnancy and in the postnatal period. Uh, and that has been shown to reduce risk of an episode. Like you say, it is, a lot of these things are treatable whether if, if they, even if they can't be prevented, they're certainly all treatable. Absolutely, yes. And there seems to be something about, um, I, I think, the new parenting phase. Um, it is such a um, potent psychological time that I think, unfortunately, that does exacerbate the experience of, of these mental health episodes and they really do feel like they're stuck in it forever. And, of course, because they haven't had a baby before, they haven't been a mum before, uh, you know, it can delay detection because they're thinking maybe this is just how I feel as a mother, which unfortunately leads on to that sort of sense of, oh, maybe I'm just no good at this, uh, which is really, you know, unfortunate. So we do a lot of work with um, 
uh, you know, reassurance and normalising and, um, you know, setting the scene for them that, you know, uh, this is actually illness and it's going to go away and they will be themselves again, um, but with new knowledge and, you know, establishing themselves in their identity as mother. I think you really need to just lower your standards, don't you, and just expect you're not going to be able to to nail it every time. You're not going to be, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. That is such good advice for every single parent, yes. And I think that's almost the thing that they all need to know. Everybody lays out a vision of motherhood that is completely idealistic and then in the same breath will say, but I can't be like that. So in a sense, yes, I think we all are set up for failure by the just the idealisation of mothers and babies in our culture. And it, yeah, it could do with a dose of just healthy reality of like it's, you know, it's, and we talk about being good enough, that that's, that's what um, we um, talk about in therapy is being a good enough parent is all that's required. And indeed, perfection would not do well by our children if they got everything they needed the second they needed it, they would not grow. Um, so in fact, there's supposed to be a bit of frustration inbuilt into that. Um, there, you know, so perfection would not even be what we want. Rebecca, what would you say is the one thing that gives your your patients hope? Um, well, I think, uh, you know, every parent goes into this, you know, wanting to have that um, relationship with their baby and to have that future as a family. And I think that's what drives them forward. And we just seek to encourage them in that, that, um, you know, uh, while they might have an episode of a mental health disorder, that's time limited. Um, we expect they can have a full recovery uh, and it shouldn't disadvantage them in their relationship or in their family plans in any way. Um, you know, having a personal history of mental health disorders should be no barrier at all to, um, to you know, the goal of becoming a parent if that's what someone wants. What do you do now to keep yourself mentally well? Yeah, self-care is, is really important to me. Look, I work full-time. I've got two little boys. We do have family support, but self-care for me looks like um, taking time out to exercise. So I'm a runner and I love nothing more than going for a 20K run without little people. <laughs> 20K is just a little, little yeah. jog around the box. <laughs> yeah, just a jog around the box. Um, no, I love, I love the long run and um, I'll put my headphones on and leave the little people at home or doing something fun and I just go to the beach and or, or go somewhere where I enjoy and just take time out for myself. It's really important. I also love reading um, novels. So just having time um, by myself actually is really important for me, but also connecting in with my husband and, and doing some things, just the two of us, um, not very often, but just, you know, going for a coffee or, um, you know, going out for lunch or something when we can um, is something that we like to do. So, Renee, what would you say to other parents who are right in the middle of it now, going through something like what you went through? Yeah, I think my message is um, about about self-worth, self-understanding, and just trying to tap into yourself and realise that you're worth it. This is really important to reach out and to ask for help. It doesn't have to be um, the perfect help at the, you know, the first time you reach out, but asking for support. There's so much support available. 
being really aware of Panda um, and knowing that it's only a phone call away. And if you can, sharing it with someone, sharing your someone close to you, sharing what you're going through um, and not bottling it up because we know that bottling it up and not reaching out um, can have, you know, terrible consequences. What would you say is your most joyful part of parenting? What do you love most about being being a parent? The most amazing thing for me about being a parent is watching them go out and experience the world and just being so proud of them and then them coming back to me and telling me and sharing with me all about it. And for me, um, that is just so important. We've got that bond and I just love experiencing the world through their eyes. Survive and Thrive is a podcast from Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, an accredited mental health service. You'll find all the links and information you need in the episode notes, wherever you're listening. But just a reminder, if you are a new or expecting parent, you can call Panda's free national helpline from Monday to Saturday on 1300 726 306. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline on 13 11 14. If you're in a life-threatening emergency, call triple zero. The experts featured on the Survive and Thrive podcast are not panda clinicians, but valued partners. Any opinions and advice is their own and not representing panda. Panda recognises the individual and collective contributions of people with a lived or living experience of mental health issues, their families, loved ones and supporters. Every story informs how we care for people and their community. Survive and Thrive is produced by Dead Set Studios for Panda, Perinatal Anxiety and Depression Australia, and hosted by me, Gia Hogarth. Don't forget there are lots more episodes in your podcast feed and more to come, so hit follow in your favourite podcast app.